This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Really, Back in March 2022, we were delighted to visit the Prince Charles Cinema where they were screening Licence to Kill, our favourite Bond film. So we knocked heads together with John Orty, also known as Behind the Stunts, to see whether we could arrange an event after. Well, we managed to bag none other than Paul Weston, the stunt coordinator of so many of our favourite films, not just in the Bond franchise. But of course, he was coordinating all the stunts on Licence to Kill, and he was even doubling for Robert Darvey right at the end of the film, where Sanchez is burnt alive. Lovely. Anyway, this is the amazing Q&A, hosted by the broadcaster extraordinaire, John Orty. Hope you enjoy it. What's always interesting, watching a movie like that, with other Bond fans is obviously the fact that all the laughs are in the right place and everybody's enjoying the same thing. When you're watching it with somebody who's in it, it's always quite interesting as well. And the fact of the matter is that Paul's in it a lot as the stunt coordinator. Nowadays, a lot of stunt coordinators tend to have a team of people who will provide the action and they coordinate the action with them. But uh, Licence to Kill is a very good example of, uh, of Paul being in the thick of it a lot. He does the first gag in the picture, which is doubling Robert Darvey jumping from the, the jeep into the hedgerow mm-hmm. and then the big fire gag at the end and you're, you're in it about half a doubling cue. Uh, falling off the chair and doing all of that sort of stuff. What was that like to 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 work on from from your point of view? I mean, because originally, before the Timothy Dalton's, the last movie that you really worked on was uh, Octopussy, a stunt supervisor. Yes, yes. You were originally supposed to be coordinating on A View to a Kill, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, I was supposed to go out there. Two weeks before we were supposed to go to uh, San Francisco, Barbara said to me, um, "Martin wants to do it on his own." He was a uh, Martin Grace was um, Roger's double. He'd had the accident on uh, on uh, Octopussy, and he wanted to become the as the sole supervisor on that. So two weeks before, I was a member of the Tarmac Club waving the plane goodbye. So 
Yes. Often, often bigger and better things. But then, of course, the type of action that you see in these in these movies, it's very different from the Roger action. Roger, with a lot of the dialogue, would let you know a couple of pages beforehand, I'm going to do a funny line in a minute and prepare you for it, right? Well, similarly, with the action on the Timothy pictures, it's not the sort of action that you would associate Roger with, for instance, in the character of Bond. So what sort of conscious decision did you have to make in order to change that type of action around and make it make it more him? Well, when we started with, uh, what was it, Living Daylights, yeah. Timothy and I spoke about it and we looked through the storyboards. We had four minutes at the beginning of the movie to make Timothy Dalton a new Bond. And he wanted to make it really real. He wanted to do it the way Daniel Craig is doing it now. He said, if I get a, a, a punch on the nose, I, I want my nose to be red for the next two scenes. If I get kicked in the leg, I want a limp. And I, th I said, well, you know, I don't know if, you know, Cubby wants to go that way. So he had a talk with Cubby and Cubby said, no. After Roger just sort of brushing his <laughs> hair back and, and carrying on, it's, it was fantasy. Uh, Timothy wanted to make it real and we really had to slow him down. He got, he got a lot of the stuff he wanted to do, which was a much uh, more vicious bond than uh, Roger had been. Yeah, we just had to try to uh, appease Cubby and, and the audience, but he really did want you to make it uh, much more vicious. It's also the, 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 the case in these type of pictures of bringing in specialists. Up until this point, there'd been lots of people within the British and American stunt performers who were very capable of doing all of the bits and pieces. But, you know, that when you get a sequence like Bond skis behind a plane barefoot, you know, you've got to do your best to try and, right, who wants the job? And all the stunt guys are going, no, no, not me, thank you. No, there's got to be somebody else who can do it. So you had to find a guy, David Reinhardt, who kind of, I suppose he invented it, did he? he well, he was the um, Florida champion at that time, uh, barefoot water skiing. You have to go at 47 miles an hour, I think, to get up onto the skis, uh, up onto your feet. You drop your, your skis and then you go on one foot and then the other foot and you take off. Or you, you can do it from a special uh, bar from behind a very speedy boat. Mm -hmm. The problem was <clears throat> he was brilliant at it. And when we came to do it, we obviously had him on um, skis. And what he was going to do was just drop one ski and drop the other ski. And once he hit the water, the, the, tra uh, the plane wasn't strong enough to pull him out of the water. So the, every time we, we tried the plane, the plane would get us as fast as it could and he would hit the water and the plane would stop. Just the dragness of his body on the water, we couldn't get him to do it. Right. So what I had to do in the end is got uh, some plastic um, <laughs> skis about this big clamps on them and he was able to do it. He, we, we were able to get the plane to go take him out of the water as long as he got up as fast as he could onto uh, his little skis. But I still couldn't get him to catch the plane up because it, the plane just didn't go fast enough. It was still a drag. So what I had to do was uh, have the, him go out and uh, pull himself out as far as he could away from the plane. And then I got the plane to turn into him so that they, he could actually meet it up, meet up with it. And that's what we did on that, in that occasion. And of course, with that sequence as well, catching the plane is one thing, but then transferring to it 
is a different thing. And Paul did the transfer, and you appear to hit the plane like a ton of bricks. Yes, uh, yes, it was a bit I, heavy. I, I know that that just, uh, we, we'll just cover this before we go to uh, questions from the audience, but it's, it was a, a fairly painful experience, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. And I wanted to make it look right and, and, and be a sort of continuity because he, he, he was being towed by a, a spear gun cable. I thought, right, what I'll do is I'll have a piece of wood just hanging on the end of the cable so that when we took off, you could actually see the piece, the, the spear gun or the, the cable. As it happened, I hit the, the side of the plane and we, we took off. And that was me hanging on the side and I dropped my legs down. There's no cables, you're just hanging on uh, to the side. So we were going up. Who needs CGI? <clears throat> yeah. So um, I swung down and got up again. And as I was laying there, it was like somebody hit my soles of my feet with a, a baseball bat. It just went whack. And I thought, where does that come from? And what it was is that the piece of wood got stretched on the piece on the rope and came up like a, a catapult, like a, on a bungee, came up and hit my feet. If it had gone around the ailerons or, or around the plane, we would have gone in. But it, lucky enough, it didn't. And I was able to carry on and climb up. And the next sequence is the uh, aerial unit. They did a fantastic job. Once you get over, uh, I went up to about 200 feet to get up to, you know, 500 feet there, parachutes, and uh, they do the rest of it. Jay Worth and his team doing that. The amount of stuff that you did in that film is extraordinary. I was, I was just saying at the, at the top of this that nowadays they would get other other performers to do it. Were you always going to do Like, for instance, the um, the Hemingway house, mm -hmm. the jump from the balcony, <clears throat> that's you. 
were you always going to do that, or was it just a case of, of not? Because Simon Simon Crane yeah, was, was doubling, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, so I, I I think I'd sent Simon off somewhere else. So Simon, I, get me some tea. Would you? Yeah. <laughs> Do so this job. I don't know. If, uh, he might have gone. Uh, he wasn't down in Florida with us at the time at Key West, so I did it myself. So a lot of times things happen, and you just have to step in and make sure that job's done. Doubling Q was quite nice as well. You just uh, <laughs> yes. you elbowed me. That's me. But, uh, <laughs> yes, but I, uh, I've forgotten about that. You've forgotten about. As soon as I saw him going through the door, I thought that was me. I had a grey wig on. And, <laughs> yeah. So yes, I double Q as well. The magic of cinema, marvellous. Oh. Really, 007? Q, what the hell are you doing here? I might have killed you. Well, I'm on leave. Thought I'd pop round and see how you're getting on. You all right? Yes, of course I'm all right. How'd you find me? Well, money, Penny, of course. She worried sick about you. This is no place for you, Q. Go home. Oh, don't be an idiot, 007. I know exactly what you're up to, and quite frankly, you're going to need my help. Remember, if it hadn't been for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago. So you like action movies, and you love the stars who perform their own stunts, right? Okay, stop. <laughs> That's not what this show is. We visit movies from the archive and explore the stunt performer's role in creating the magic you see on screen. We take a deep dive into the stunt itself and break it down so you can better understand how important the stunt performers are to big and small screen productions. Join me, John Orty, every Wednesday for the podcast and every Friday for the YouTube episode. Action Movie Secrets every week when we go behind the stunts. Find it wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, this is Robert Dobby and you're watching Really 007 Podcast. And today is the first day of the rest of your life. So tune in. What we're going to do is we're going to try and open this up to the audience there. Simply put your hand up. There's a hand right over here, and there is a microphone coming to you. And there we go. Right, fire away, my friend. It's not on, but you do have a microphone. We didn't say it was going to work. Ah, there we are. Take two, as you were. The question from the floor was, I've actually been asked to ask you by a colleague about the fire burn to Robert Darvey at the end of Licence to Kill. I've been told this is anything but standard. Yes, yes. Well, I wasn't supposed to do the job. I'd already booked uh, an American stunt guy to do it. And the day before we were going to shoot, he came to me and he said, look, if I leave tonight, I can get, go to LA and get a job for maybe two months. I said, OK, go ahead, go and do it. I don't know whether he really had a job or he just didn't fancy <laughs> doing it <laughs> yeah. before burn. I Toss, said, tossed a coin and gone, yeah, no, yeah. thank you. So, because fire is dangerous. It's uh, one of our most dangerous uh, stunts we do. You can't run away from fire. Once it's on you, you have to put it out or somebody else has to. I once saw a special effects guy standing by an explosion and he was hiding behind a, um, a low wall. Fire sort of gel fell on his back and he screamed and he ran. And we couldn't touch him. We couldn't get him to put him out. He really burnt his, he, he tore his clothes off in the end. But um, so, yeah, it's a very dangerous job. So I said, leave your, your mask, your glove. And he had a three minute air bottle. And once you go on air, uh, once you put your mask on, you have to go on air because you, you can't breathe. You've got gel on a sort of balaclava's safety mask. And then you've got your rubber mask going on the top. And I had three minutes of air and I figured that by the time the wardrobe messed about, putting the, making sure the collar was right under his shirt, and the uh, makeup department, the hair department put my uh, wig on. I, I'd say about a minute would be gone. 
then getting me into position on the set be another 30 seconds and then guys have got to gel me up so I figured I'm going to have about a minute left on air so they put me in position and you put your little tube in your mouth and you're you suck it up one side and you blow out the other. So, so you're trying to get your air into your mouth. So they put me in position. I could I just see there was a scratching one of the glass uh, glasses that you have on underneath a mask. And I could just see Timothy Dalton sitting opposite me, looking very apprehensive. <laughs> and uh, I, I'd already told him, I said, as soon as they hit me with fire, run, just get out of the way because it, it will get hot. Did, so he didn't just, need uh, telling twice, I imagine. <laughs> well... So I, I said, okay, stand by. I mean, they said to me, okay, stand by. And I was in position and I was breathing and they uh, gelled me up and I figured I got, I want to be on fire for about 20 seconds. That's a, a, it's a lot, 20 seconds of a full burn. So I, I figured I had a, 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 almost a minute left. They said, turn over and hold it, hold it. There's a problem with the camera. Oh. So I'm going, but the, uh, it took, seems it go forever, but it was probably only a few more seconds. And they said, okay, turn over, roll cameras and action. And woof, I was up in flames and all I could see was colors in, through this crack. And I went, nothing. Nothing. And I thought, don't panic. Just try to blow out and then see if you can get some in. And I blew out sideways and I tried to suck. It was like sucking treacle up a tube. It was a little bit of air came in and then I had to do the job. <clears throat> so I then fell over. Timothy had gone by then. I fell over on my knees, got up. It's only a short version you see on here. Even the editor, I mean, even the long version, yeah. is, you do tend to lose a, a yeah. great deal of the movement that you were doing. Yeah, so I went, I, I'd figured out, I'd rehearsed, I was going alongside the truck, feel the truck, and then there was a, a, a flame bar on the floor uh, that they were going to bring up big flames. Uh, once I'd fallen through it, uh, they were going to bring the rest of it up as though it all blown up. On, and I put rocks along the floor and I could feel them with my feet and then fell forward and then they brought it all up. And that's when all the boys come in and they put you out. And I was out of air by then. You just hope that they're gonna get to you quick enough. And they pulled the mask off and pulled me to my feet and uh, they were shaking my hand. Oh, great job, great job. That's when I was burning. The heat was, you know, heat transference through the costume it was getting hotter and hotter and it dissipated fairly quickly, but I was going, oh, that's all right, that's all right. <laughs> oh. So yeah, it was, a, it was a nice job to have done, but um, I don't know whether I would have needed another minute would have helped. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? So don't remember that next time when you see fire jobs on screen, that not only is he remembering, right, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, he's then remembering, I've got to act. Oh, and I've got to try and keep myself alive by blowing down and sucking up this tube, desperately trying to find yeah. this. It's extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And it, it, you say yourself there, in the edit, you've explained yourself there, the, the movements that you did during that take are far greater than the edit. Mm. You know, yeah. personally, I'm biased, but I think you've got mugged in the edit. But, you know, what can you do? But that, 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 that's uh, yeah, evidently they, they the shot. felt that it was too, too violent and too um, upsetting. The head exploding was fine, yeah. but... <laughs> You being on fire for a bit <laughs> yeah. too long, you know. In the old days, of course, in the days of, of, uh, of fire jobs of that nature, I think it was Royal Lund was telling me once, he said, I did his first fire job, a fellow, Terry, Terry Walsh, Walsh, rushed up to him and said, here, quick, put this in your pocket. And he said, right, okay, put it in his pocket, did the fire job. And then he came up to him after and said, can I have it? He said, what? He said, in your pocket. And he went, what is it? And he said, a baked potato. <laughs> it's the sort yeah, of thing wicked sense do, of so. humour. Any other questions? Anybody else want to ask? There's hands up if we can find uh, anyone you want to go to. There's a, a gentleman here at the front. I was wondering, were there any stunts during Licence to Kill, any other productions where the actors themselves did a stunt that perhaps they shouldn't have done in Licence Oh, topical questions now we're doing. Yeah. Look at this. Most actors want to do their own stunts until they get a little hurt and then they don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Their ego usually takes over in the beginning. When they're first starting, Roger never needed to, to prove himself, so he never wanted to do any stunts. He never, but a lot of actors, young actors, want to do them. Like when I first got Timothy, I hadn't worked with him. I knew he was a great stage actor, but putting him on top of that uh, Jeep, uh, Living Daylights, I had a choice. I could have tied him on there, and he wouldn't have been able to move, and he would have been safe. But if the jeep had turned over on the corner or something, he would have been crushed into it. So I just had to decide whether he was strong enough to hold on. I'd put um, handholds on the top of the jeep and I'd put a platform on the, on the uh, right-hand side of the jeep that you couldn't see from uh, the camera. And I was on that, I was wired on there. And every time he put his, got a bit too brave and put his leg over, I would whack his leg and make sure he got back on. Put that back. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
Rodin never wanted to. I remember uh, one time we'd done all the stuff on Octopussy, running over the top of the train and uh, diving over pipes under bridges. And we sort of got him into the studios and got him on top of the train and we did all the close-ups and, and whatever. And then there was one time we had to, they bought the whole train, I mean, a big coach from Peterborough into the studios so that he could climb up and get on top. And he sat there in his, de <laughs> in his deck chair and John Glenn said to him, OK, Paul will show you what you've got to do. I was dressed like him anyway, I was doubling him. So he said, OK, and so I climbed up and got onto the top of the train. Roger said, uh, John, do you, do you want me to look down camera? He said, no, 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 just climb straight up. He said, well, Paul can do that. <laughs> and I did it in the studio. <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't have to prove anything, but he was a very funny guy. Different, different breed completely. The gentleman here in the white jumper here, because if, uh, if Phil doesn't ask a question, he'll burst. Hello, Paul. I realise that you've probably been in lots of my favourite films. However. Time, including The Great Top Secret, if you remember being in that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, was, um, I, was, I was croissant. <laughs> the French one, yes. Yeah, it was a great film on that one. But um, my question is about Moonraker, because I know that you've, uh, you've, you've, you've quite a few parts in Moonraker. And uh, I know that you were involved in the space battle in Moonraker. I wonder if you've got any recollections of, uh, of that particular sequence. Yes, it was uh, all shot. The, that sequence was on uh, 007 stage. They covered the whole Muscos fortunes of, of Black Velvet all the way around 007 stage. There must have been a, probably a dozen of us on wires coming out of the um, space shuttle, lifting up. And we had four packs on our back that were lasers that worked. So we could actually be traveling along and press these things and lasers would work. But they were very heavy. And when you're, you're flying, uh, you're being pulled up, you're on uh, harnesses under your crutch. And with that weight, there was no way of getting the weight to go anywhere else. So your eyes were watering most of the time and you were hanging there for a long time. And a couple of times I, I looked over and one of the guys would go, hmm. <laughs> absolutely pass out. It's because the blood's not getting to your, to your brain. So yeah, it or was Or anywhere painful. else for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, eventually. The thing is, yeah, I, it, was, it was painful, but we did some great shots. So I, was, I got shot in close up, which was nice, coming out of the shuttle. And then Derek Medding said to me, Paul, get right down the other end of the stage on the platform. I, I was the first guy out on the villain's side, so I, I probably shot myself, <laughs> which I've done lots of time in my career, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's half the, half the, half the fun, isn't it? But <laughs> yes. you say, look, I've just shot my... I think the same in uh, GoldenEye is another example. There's a stuntman called Paul Heisman. Who, him and Gary Powell killed themselves about five times in the, in the pre-title yeah. sequence. Any more questions? Any more hands up? There's a couple of hands down here at the front. Here we go. I just wanted to know or have your memories, how great was it working with um, Al Harbour, the brilliant genius producer? With remembering Cubby. Oh, Cubby was wonderful. Yeah, he was a lovely man. He was a, a true old style professional producer. What he said went, and if you asked for something and he didn't think it would work, he'd go, no. <laughs> and that was it. 
you didn't, he knew the business so well. I remember at one time we were uh, in doing Living Daylights on the frozen lake and the boys, the stunt guy, uh, the uh, special effects guys needed a big crane to come in and, and pick up the um, Aston Martins and, and put them on the cannon, which was going to be shot over the, the border, over the, the fence. They said, please, can we have it? And the production manager said, no, no, you, it's too expensive. We all sat and I remember sitting in a big boardroom going through this, checking out things, what we need for next week. And John, I think it was uh, Colt, one of the other stunt special effects guys. Anyway, they, he asked Cubby, he said, can we have this? And he, it, Cubby said to the production manager, can I have that? And they said, no, it's too expensive. And he said, John, do you need it? And John said, yeah. He said, give it to him. And that was it. He got the biggest crane he needed. And it saved like two days work. Instead of physically trying to lift the, this um, Aston Martin into position 20 below on the frozen lake, he got it. But that was Cubby, and he was the loveliest man you could ever miss, wish to meet. On the lake, he would, when all the boys were working on the lake, but as soon as they came into the hotel at night, give them all a drink. And when the lake needed to be cleared, because the snow was laying on the lake, which is like um, a blanket on it, and the, the ice melts underneath. So they had bulldozers and vehicles clearing the, the snow off the top. And he said to Barbara, look after the boys. And she went out there with bottles of brandy at night and giving all the, the, the drivers a, a swig of brandy. So, yeah, he was a lovely man. I think it's, maybe it's another reason why that period, that Roger period particularly, was, was so successful because it, it was effectively a one-man operation. The, the fact that whatever it was he wanted, you know, if we need Roger for another movie, well, we'll just play backgammon, yes. hope for the best, and then whoever wins, yeah, okay, I'll do another one. You know, it was, yeah. it was old school, really old-fashioned yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, lovely man, lovely man. Any more questions? Anybody want to ask any questions? There's hands up at the back of the room. Roger was a lovely man. He was so funny. The times that um, he would, would take time out to make, uh, to, to make a gag. I remember one time we were doing an octopusy and he was climbing from the uh, balcony in the in, uh, Indian palace and he was going into octopus's room, but he had to climb over. It was about 12 feet off the ground and he had to step over this and there was a gap between the two balconies. And I said to John Glenn, wouldn't it be great as, as he's stepping over we could have some bird pigeons go up in front of in, uh, in front of the camera it's a low angle camera and we could have some pigeons go up it frightened the audience and it you know frightened the uh, <laughs> roger so <laughs> he said yeah okay you're the pigeon wrangler i said oh thanks <laughs> so i said that in the morning i said to the prop department can you get me half a dozen or a dozen pigeons and they said yeah like it was going out for a bottle of milk <laughs> Where would you get a dozen pigeons? Uh, so anyway, in the afternoon, we set it all up. I'm standing on a box under the camera, looking up because the, the, the balcony was up there. So I said, pigeon, I put one pigeon under one arm, pigeon under the other arm, one arm, uh, one this side, one that side. So I'm standing on the box, ready to go. Roger starts to walk across, turn over, action, and Roger says, hold it, hold it, I can't, I can't, I've got to go to the loo. So he gets down, goes all the way over to the, wherever he's going, came back, it was about five, eight minutes, so it, okay, so I put the pigeons back, now I've got to get them out, pigeon, 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 standing on the box, ready to go, the camera's just above my head, 
and action, and he starts to crawl across. As he steps across, I let the pigeons go. Woof, up they go, all the feathers come flying down, and an egg hit me on the head, <laughs> swim down my face. Roger was in hysterics, as the crew was. He'd gone all the way over to the canteen to get a, 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 a fresh egg so he could drop it on my head. That was, that was Roger. He would, any gag he, he could do. <laughs> could you see Daniel Craig doing that? Yeah, maybe not. Question from the back of the room. Yeah, do you think the action and tone of the violence and license to kill was a, a good, a welcome change to pave the way for what we have now? Paul? Well, um, when we were doing it, it was, you know, good old-fashioned punch-ups. You get a little bit of um, sort of uh, martial arts come into it, depending on, on the film. But mostly people don't know martial arts. So everyone in, in the movies now knows martial arts, and they're fantastic at it. But it was good old-fashioned barroom brawls when we f first started. I started in the 60s. No, no, I hear you say it's not too, too <laughs> young. Surely not. But yes, I did start in the 60s. So it was extras uh, becoming stuntmen and a few PT instructors and army sort of instructors that came into becoming stunts. So it took probably when we started having to compete with the Bourne identity, I think, on the Bonds, it started having to... to become more violent and to keep up with, with the modern trend of, of fighting. What I always found fascinating with that comparison is that the people who made the action on the Bourne Identity are the people who made the action on Quantum of Solace. You know, it is the same team of people, more or yeah, less. Yeah, yeah. You know, so they're just taking that action and going, well, that really works yeah. in this. Let's try it over there as well. So I think, I mean, even Batman, those... Um, yeah, martial yeah. arts these days, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yes, so it's, yeah. it progresses as time goes on. Time for a couple more questions. No hands at the back of the room there. There's some hands in the middle. There we go. I was looking at your there. You were looking at my what? Sorry? Your profile? Oh, my. Not I'm yours. Oh, not mine. I was going to say. It's been a long time since I've had that up. And it said you were the stunt coordinator on Aliens. Yes, indeed. It's my favourite movie I've seen here in Digital Cinema as well. I just wondered if you have any memories and what it was like working on that. It was wonderful to work with James Cameron. He's a very hard taskmaster. He wants to put his thumb on every, every department. But I got on very well with him. My task was to, he first said to me, I don't want men in rubber suits. Uh, I don't want them to look like men in rubber suits. So I had to come up with ideas what, using wires, different tricks, so that they look like creatures. At one stage I had the guys, and I had to have tall, thin guys to uh, be the aliens. One time I had them with uh, uh, casters on their chest so that their chest was on the floor, their arms were up at, at this shape, and I had the, uh, the tails on wires, on a, like a fishing <laughs> wires, so they could run along the floor. So they, they really looked like scorpions. And another time we were, uh, built sets upside down so that they, when they look, I don't know if you, well, you remember the film, but uh, when they're in the command center and uh, he looks up and he, they sees them coming through the roof and they lift, he lifts up the, the panel and sees them upside down coming towards him and coming on, on the flat. So what we did was build the whole set upside down and we had them on wires, some facing that way, some facing that way. 
so that when they cut it together, it looked like they were running towards you, but one of them was running along the ceiling. And when we did, came to uh, having the queen, I had to have two guys in the body of the queen to operate um, the small arms and then operate the second arm, the four, they had two small <laughs> arms and two big ones. Yeah. So I had them upside down uh, on their sides, operating those, they were back to, back to back. It took like 30 people to operate the, the queen. When she stood up, she was like 14 feet high when she stood up. So there was someone on her head, somebody on the teeth, somebody on, um, on the tail, on the arms. When they had the fight with the um, power loader, there was a hell of a, there, there was more people than you, you would expect to make this section of the film work uh, because everybody had their job. All had to happen in sync. So that when she swings, uh, when uh, Sigourney swings the arm, and hits the head of the, uh, the queen. All that had to be a reaction for everybody within that suit. Yeah, it was difficult, but uh, very uh, satisfying. And you, you know, this again is, is another reason why it's, it's great to have somebody like Paul to, to come along and, and, and have a chat in connection with these type of movies, because all of this, all of this was done for real. Now that same sequence could yeah, be yeah. created in post from, from a CGI perspective. You know, nowadays you expect a certain level of CGI, mm, but to yeah. say that, you know, inside the Queen, you've got a number of people here, some people operating this, you've got a number of people downstairs, they've all got to be in sync together. Mm. It's extraordinary to think that, that all of that stuff was done for real. There's a, a hand right in the middle there. I can't, is that David? It is. It is David. I don't think I need the microphone. No, we can hear you from here. Come on ahead. Can I just ask about your line in the opening of The Living Daylights? It's one of my favourite parts, and I want to know how you got to say that line, and can you also say for us now? Ah. <laughs> Four years of RADA for this. <laughs> yes, I wasn't supposed to, I, I never volunteer for that sort of thing. John Glenn said, you can play that part. I said, one of the other guys, no, you're going to play that. So yes, uh, I had to be standing there. Timothy, on, this is on Living Daylights. Do you remember the running, uh, when he's running down the, the uh, rock and he bumps into a guard there and that's me. And I have to fire the gun at him and say, hold on, you're dead. <laughs> but to do that, we, I, all the crew lined up behind the camera and I, I had to turn around and say with a serious face, hey, hold on, you're dead. <laughs> say, there it is. Oh, please, oh, please. Worth every penny of the fee right there. But yes, I mean, the crew are terrible. That's why I don't like doing them. They would, they're making faces and gestures that try to break you up, but I, I, I did it in the end. Hold on, you're dead. Well, I certainly want to say a, a huge thank you to Paul for coming along and doing this today. Would you, would you thank Paul Weston for me? It's my pleasure, thank you. Thank you. I'd also very much like to thank the, uh, the lovely people from the Prince Charles Cinema who have agreed to do all of this today. And uh, our friends, of course, from Really 007 Pod, and here is Tom to uh, tell you a little bit more. I just wanted to, to thank John as well. John's put on this and uh, I was passing. <laughs> and also, he's got hopefully a book coming out fairly soon. So please just mention that briefly. Well, that's very kind of you. I wasn't planning on a plug, but seeing as we're here, yes, the, the idea of, of being here and, of course, with, uh, with a Bond movie and with Paul and uh, the book, Stunts, Bond stunts.
is uh, hopefully due out in October in time for the uh, 60th anniversary. So that's the plan. Uh, and as soon as I have any more information, I'll, I'll let you know. But a huge thanks to Paul. Thank you to everybody. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming along today. It's been terrific. And uh, have a super afternoon. And if you're coming to see us afterwards, I don't know where we're going to be, but come and have a drink and uh, we'll have a chat. And thank you again. Take care. Really Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.